I forgot to mention to the first in the first service that we have new. Uh, you know, we call them. We come to the habit of calling those things that we hand out every Sunday worship guides, but they're really not worship guides because we don't. How many of you grew up and they had all the songs listed and all that stuff? And so those were worship guides. All of ours, all of ours, we found out just information and uh, sermon note page. So we've. We, we're trying to be more uh, better stewards of the money, so we, we've come up with this plan, and this will save us about, believe it or not, $2,500 a year to do these. Are y'all for saving money and doing kingdom work with it? Uh, and on the back, see, uh, that way I don't have the deadline to get my title sermon and everything to Diane, so I love that. Uh, so you can write in the title sermon and the, and who's speaking if you want to, if you care, and um, but then some of you may go, well, what about our, our prayer sheets? Well, those are under the seats. See the white pieces of paper? If you see one of those and you have a prayer need and you would like it prayed over, then you just have to pick one of those up and fill it out. And during, during any time during the service while we come forward for tithes and offerings or for prayer, invitation, whatever, you can bring that in up here and just put it in the offering plate. And those get taken to the intercessor, the prayer intercessors. They get prayed over. And so... Uh, I just want you to notice a couple of changes. How many of you noticed a change? See? How many of you didn't care? You know why? Because most of those things are left in the seats after church. And we're like, wow, that's a lot of money to spend for them. Just So these you can just slide them into your Bible and they don't take as much room. Okay? And those sermon notes are really... How many of you take sermon notes, honestly? How many of you being honest? <laughs> it's, it's good. You don't have to verbatim but maybe the holy spirit will say this is what you need today this is what you need to write down and then you tuck it away in your bible and man there's a day comes and you're flipping through your bible anybody done that you flip through your bible and something falls out and you go, oh yeah i remember oh yeah i need that right now today so well, that's just a couple of the changes that we have and i want to let you know before i get into the sermon that uh, we got some awesome awesome things coming up after spring break with there's nothing this week but after spring break we're heading toward Resurrection Celebration. We're, but before that, we're heading to, it's been called Monday, Thursday. But it's really a reenactment of the Lord's Supper. And we call it the Living Last Supper. And that's going to take place on the Thursday before Resurrection Day, which is a Sunday. And do we have a picture? Can you put that picture up there, James? Because uh, I'm really excited about this. We did this two years ago. And we're going to do it again this year on that Thursday. See, isn't that cool? That's that, that actually in Leonardo da Vinci's painting. I know you might think it is, but that is actually a picture of our guys that performed that. And uh, we take communion for the whole, for the whole group. Uh, it's a really a special night, so we're going to re- redo that or do that again. On um, Thursday, that would be April the 2nd, I believe. All right? So put that on your little iPhone calendar. And then um, Sunday, of course, is Resurrection Day, two services. And we pray that, you know, are already starting to put out the invitations to people, invite them. Uh, you know, you don't need to go after church people, okay? You need to go. There are tons of people that go to church nowhere. They have any inkling about it. And just invite them to come with you. You know, a good way to get people to come with you is to offer to pick them up. I said, man, I'll give you a ride and, and bring them to church on that, that 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Usually those two services are like full, and we've had to use the overflow room. So uh, think ahead. And then the next week after that is another cool thing. We've last year we reversed them, but because of uh, Resurrection Day coming so early in the month, this year we're flip-flopping it. We're doing Jesus in the Park the following week, the following Sunday. And we're, we're teaming up with Zervita. Anybody heard of Zervita? That means resurrected life. But they do a product called Zeal. Anybody heard of Zeal, the drink? 
Okay. Well, they, they do things, they do community things, they give back to the community, but they do it through faith-based organizations like churches. So they're teaming up with us to feed 500 that Sunday, and we're going to have all of our church service will be out here at this park, not City Park, like we've done in the past. Out in this park, we're going to have our band set up. We're going to do worship, praise, preaching. Uh, I hope we can get CJ to do some rapping. And, and, uh, but we're, they're going to have all sorts of uh, bounty houses. I know that several, John Nolan loves bounty houses. And we're going to have people, we're going to have bounty houses and, and a lot of games for the kids. Uh, but it's just going to be a fun time to, to worship together in the community. And also, we're going to have a prayer tent. So we're going to be able to pray for people. So we're, you're going to be knowing, hearing more about that as it comes up, but that'll be one big service that, that Sunday, April the 12th. Say April the 12th. Okay. We're going to be, it's going to be Jesus in the park. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. All right. You, you ready for the word this morning? Cool. I like that. So turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. I'm continuing the series from the procession, which was the triumphant entry to the resurrection. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about two questions. Two questions. Say two questions. First of all, first time, first when I began to study this, I was just going to teach on one question, but I'm teaching on two questions this morning, but it all is around and has to do with the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, or some people call it the Last Supper. We're going to call it the Lord's Supper because uh, that was his time, and that was, his, that was the appointment that he had for that day with his disciples. They were getting, they were getting so excited about doing the Passover meal with Jesus. Uh, Passover was huge for, for Jewish people. Now, it still is for actually for, for Jews that are Christians and non, non-Christian Jews. It's still a huge celebration because it celebrates their freedom from bondage from Egypt, from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. When Moses went in and he called and God said, go in and call your people, my people out. And, and you know the process. He took them out after many, many plagues and, and Pharaoh, keep, he kept lying to him and lying to him, lying to him. Finally, Pharaoh had enough, said, get out of here. And, and uh, God took through Moses, he took them through the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And then he gave them the Ten Commandments. And then they rebelled against God. They stayed in the wilderness for 40, 40 years before the Joshua then took them into the Promised Land. So what they were celebrating when they did Passover was when the, the, the lamb was slain. And they took the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost because the death angel was coming over. And he was slaughtering all these, these children. But the Jewish people were set free because of the blood of the lamb. Now that's the, what they celebrate. And they still celebrate that today. But we don't celebrate that the same way. We celebrate the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that set us free. So that's what he was. They had never done anything like this before. There's no record in the three-year ministry of Jesus that he instituted anything like this until this day. Okay, so look with me with Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start reading with verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want to... To us to prepare for you to eat the Passover. So it was, it was tradition. And Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, this Passover possibly was different than anything that they'd ever taken a part of because the lambs actually hadn't been slaughtered yet. So there was probably no lamb, no mutton at this Passover meal. I didn't mention that to the, in the first service. Uh, and some people say, some theologians, some, some commentators say it's probably because Jesus knew that he was a lamb. He was a lamb, okay? 
Jesus wanted to take part in this beautiful celebration with his disciples. Luke 22 says it in a little bit different way. 22:15. This is what Jesus said to his disciples with fervent desire. Say fervent desire. He said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he has been preparing them and preparing them, preparing them for his funeral, for his burial. All along through the triumphal entry, through the anointing of his feet, to the anointing of his head. And, and the, verse, the words that would come out of his mouth, he said, I've got to die. I've got to suffer. And so all of these things are going through their heads. And Jesus is saying, I want to celebrate Passover with you before I suffer. Go to verse 20 in Matthew 26. When evening had come, he, Jesus, sat down with the twelve. And now as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to, to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? All the way down the table. They were reclining at the table. I mean, great, great dinner conversation, huh? Hey, guys, we're celebrating the Passover. One of you is going to betray me while they're, while they're eating. Like, oh, great. I was doing really good until you said that, Jesus. So, Lord, is it? A, and so I'm thinking, guys, this is how I think. Now, I, I pray that you get into scriptures and, and you dig into scriptures. But the best thing I can tell you to do to understand scriptures for me, or for me is, is to put myself in their place. I want to see what were they thinking when they were laying there and Jesus said that when they were reclining at the table having what were they thinking why were they saying lord is it is it i why were they even i can understand why Judas would say is it i because he knew it was him but all the rest of them, the other 11 were going oh, was it me is it me because you see they were not perfect men they had not been yet baptized or filled with the holy spirit so they were still thinking in their mind, their carnal mind. Well, he just said he's going to die. We thought he was going to live forever. Well, we thought he was going to come and rule and reign. And we, he was coming in on a white horse. He rode in on a donkey. Thinking about, think about it, guys. Don't chastise the disciples for what their own questions. Because listen, I guarantee you in this room, I guarantee you, even as believers, you've said, Lord, is it I? Did I mess up, Lord? Did I not do what I was supposed to do, Lord? And Jesus would point us out, and we would go, oh, wow. You see, the enemy likes for us to have doubt all the time. The enemy wants us to have doubt and unbelief. He wants that to be our life. He wants us to not to believe that God can do everything. We say that all things, he's, all things are possible. The enemy says, really? And then we go, wow, Lord, do I really believe that all things are possible for them that believe? Do I really believe that when I pray and I ask that you're going to give me the, what you say you will give me? Is it I? Have I failed you, Lord? Is it I? So listen, these guys are being honest with Jesus. They didn't know what Judas was planning. But their own thought life was, wow, is it going to be me? Because it really was them. They didn't necessarily betray Jesus. Peter denied him three times. The rest of them ran out. When they, when they arrested Jesus, what did they do? Man, they left. One left so fast he lost his clothes. Read the scriptures. That's what happened. So they had a right to say, is it I? But Jesus was talking specifically about one. His name was Judas. You see, I think, I think that the reason they said that, and I think the reason we say it, 
And I've preached this, and I've preached this, and i preach this, and I'll preach it and preach it and preach it again. It's because they didn't know who they were in Christ. You know why they didn't know who they were in Christ? Because Christ was not in them yet. We have the luxury. We, can't, we don't have that luxury of saying he's not in us because he is in us. If we know him, if we've asked him to come into our heart and save us, he comes in. Right? So they didn't have that luxury yet. He had not yet entered into them through the power of the Holy Spirit. All they could experience up until this time was the experience of being with Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit came in, Ed, when the Holy Spirit came in, you read, go back, go read it in Acts chapter 4. After the power of the Holy Spirit came in them, it says these men, these men, they're ordinary, untrained, unschooled men, they raised this guy up. They, they spoke into his life, and he got up. He was crippled, and he began to walk. And they said, these men have been with Jesus. See, there was a difference. They had been with him, but they, they didn't know that the, the Pharisees didn't know that Jesus was in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So listen, you and I have the resurrected power of, of Jesus Christ living within us. Amen? Man, this is a scripture everybody needs to know. You need to memorize it. I have not memorized it yet. I'm going to. Romans 8, 11. Turn to Romans 8, 11. Uh, highlight it. I know it's going to be on the screen. I want you to highlight it. I want it to be real to you because this is where the rubber meets the road for us as Christians. This changes everything. What's that commercial said? This changes everything. Well, this changes everything. Romans 8 and 11. Paul speaking, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's the best you could do. <laughs> and not for me, this is for the Lord. I want to read that again. Just see if you grasp it a little bit. But if the spirit of him, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that. Raised Jesus. From, you know what I got to thinking? I'll, I'll divert a little bit. I got to thinking about this, and I, I forget to mention things, and I guess, like I said in the first service, I'd give a, there's a, kind of a different sermon for each services, but I, for, I forget to, you know, sometimes what God wants me to say in one, so I'll say it in the other so you get the other. <laughs> but the Spirit... Who raised Jesus from the dead. I'm thinking, why were these guys saying, is it I, Lord? Because they were thinking, here, this is what I think. Remember who, was, who had just been raised from the dead? Who was? Lazarus, right? I'm thinking, they were there when Jesus called him out of the tomb after four days. Come on out. And they say, oh, he's stinky. <laughs> Come on out. I'm thinking, if he just told them he's going to die... Maybe they're thinking, Basil, well, if he's in the tomb, who's going to raise him up? Because we know we've been with Jesus. We saw him raise dead people. We saw him ruin every funeral he ever went to. So who's going to raise him up if he goes in? If, if he dies, like he keeps saying he's going to die. They, they, they couldn't comprehend this, guys. But here's the difference in us and them. We have this power in Romans 8, 11 said, But if the Spirit of Him, Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, say life, life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give an amen to Jesus. 
This changes everything. If you wake up in the morning, if tomorrow morning, and it's spring break, and, and man, you wake up in the morning, you have a choice as to what you're going to confess over yourself in your day. You can say, oh, crud, it's Monday. I got the Monday morning blues. I need to put on, I need to put on the mamas and the papas. Rainy days and Mondays, or is that the carpenters? Rainy days and Mondays always getting me down. We can, we can start confessing that, or we can say when we wake up and open our eyes, the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. It will change your day. It'll change your day. You got to get that. But if you want to get up and confess, oh, woe is me, is another Monday. I just hope I can make it to the end of the day. I just hope I can get by. If you think that way, guys, guess what? You'll have one of those days. And you'll want to put on the blues music. But I, I guarantee you, if you will begin to change and have your mind renewed and begin to say and speak the things of the Word of God that impact our life and change our life, your days will be better. It's your choice. It's your choice. Matthew 26. Let's get back there. I do want to get into the Lord's Supper. You see that he says, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. I understand, guys, that we still battle with flesh. I'm not naive enough. I know because I battle the flesh. How many of you don't? I mean, we all battle, right? We always have, we have those battles. Jesus told us we'd have those battles. That's why he said to put the armor on. He knew we'd have these battles. But if we can get this in our spirit and understand who Christ is in us, then I think it'll change our battle plan. It'll change the way we operate. Because, see, when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, or the enemy comes to accuse the brethren, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, that's why we're not condemned. Do you understand that? Because God will not condemn Jesus in us. He's not going to betray His Son in us. See, we're not betrayers. But the flesh would like us to think that we're, we've messed up all the time. I hear people say all the time, well, I've, I've just sinned more than I want to. You know, you're probably not confessing who the Holy Spirit is in your life day by day. Some of you need to confess it moment by moment. He answered and said, verse 23, He who dipped his hand with me in this dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of God, or the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, that's a, an active, it's not betrayed, it's betraying. He's in the process of betraying him. He'd already sold out. He answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said to him, you have said it. You've said it, Judas, it's you. I believe Judas still had a choice. I don't believe Judas was forced to do this. I think it was in his heart to do it. He was, uh, he was greedy. He never saw Jesus as Messiah. He never saw Jesus as king. All the years that he walked with Jesus, he always looked for the wrong things. You know, if you want to look for the wrong things in people, you'll always find them. I believe he had a choice. 
Judas never recognized who Jesus Christ was. He had an identity crisis when it came to his relationship with Jesus. And you know, if you'll read all the accounts, and I, I, I really encourage you, especially at this time of year, get your Bibles out and actually open them up to the different Gospels, the, the accounts of the, the, of the last days of Christ before he was crucified. Look at them, put them together, and see the because they're so interesting. I mean, man, it's just God wants us to feed on his word. We're going to see that in a minute. But God wants us to dig in his word. So when he talked about dipping, dipping that, uh, that bread into the sauce, it's like you and me at Henry's. And they bring out one bowl of hot sauce and one dill of tostados. No white sauce, just the red sauce. And you're there with a complete stranger. And he's sitting across the table from you. And he takes his, his tostado and he dips it into the hot sauce. That's good. Let me dip it again. <laughs> How many of you would like to partake of the hot sauce after that? See, what they were doing here, this was, a, this was, such, this was a, a bunch of friends that trusted and loved one another. And they dipped and double dipped. And Jesus dipped again and said, here, I mean, Jesus loved Judas. Jesus didn't want Judas to betray him. He gave him every opportunity to repent. He washed his feet that night. His dirty, stinky feet. He washed Judas knowing what Judas was about to do. And some people say that Judas, immediately after Jesus said that, and he said, is it I? And he said, you have said it, that Judas took off. He just, he left the, he left the building. He, well, he didn't partake in the Lord's Supper. But other accounts in the other Gospels don't so much say that. So there is a question as to whether Judas actually partook of the Lord's Supper. And some people go, oh, there's no way he could have. Yes, he could have. I mean, if Jesus washed his feet, he would also let... Listen, people everywhere today are probably taking communion that don't even know Jesus Christ from, like Ron says, a box of green apples. They just come. Um, yeah, yeah, great. I did it. There was nothing about Jesus that was real to them. It was just tradition. It was just religion. So, guys, listen. We need to think about it when we take communion. I, the biggest question for us when we do it every Sunday was, will they, people just become to do it out of habit? That's why we make sure every Sunday we pray over it. We ask you to listen, make sure that it but doesn't become a ritual to you, that it's real for you. Because he says there's no do it once a week. There's no do it once a quarter. You know, churches come up with their own plans to do that. My Bible says as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of him. As often as you do it. Mary Lou and I take communion at home. There's nothing in the world. Listen, they weren't at church. They were in the upper room. They were in a room taking communion. So there's no rules as to when you can take it. And you might want to use wine. You might want to use grape juice. Man, it doesn't matter. You just It's what you're doing and why you're doing it and what it means to you that matters. John 13, 26, Jesus answered said, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now go back to Matthew. I want to talk about the communion, the elements we call them. Anybody ever wonder why we call them elements? We're going to take the elements today. Me too, I don't know. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw it out there. Well, they call them elements. I'm sure there's a reason. Matthew 26, 26. 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is my body. How many of you have ever given something away that really meant a lot to you? Man, and maybe it's a, a, a family heirloom. Maybe it's something that you made yourself, and you, sp- you spend a lot of time making something or drawing something or painting something or, or weaving something, and, and you put a lot of time and effort into it. Or maybe it's something that was passed on to you by your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and it's something very valuable to you, and you decided, I need to give this away. And, man, it was like you're giving part of yourself away, Right? Well, Jesus was talking to them about giving himself away. He wasn't going to get, he, he, he was giving them, he was showing them in this time, in this Lord's Supper, in this communion, I'm about to give myself away. I'm not going to give you a trinket. I'm not going to give you a cross to wear around your neck. I'm not going to give you some, he said, I'm about to give my life for you. And I want you to know what's about to happen. And because I'm doing this, I want you to do it. To remember what I've done for you for the rest of your lives. Because I can imagine every time they got together, they recounted that night. Before they ran like a bunch of scared chickens, they went back to that night and they remembered what Jesus did for them. Turn in your Bibles to John 6, 47. Again, this is the way I kind of think. So uh, I'm thinking these guys are, Jesus has instituted this. This uh, ceremony, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And maybe briefly they thought, oh, I remember when he talked about that before. And people didn't like it. Okay, go back to John 6. This is after Jesus had been doing miracle after miracle. He had fed thousands of people, five loaves of bread, two fish, man. He multiplied it, and they began to go after Jesus just because of the miracles and the food. You know, they said, hey, there's the bread truck. It's Jesus. Let's go see what he's going to feed us today. And they went after him for the wrong reasons. You know, people go after Jesus for the wrong reasons. And they were going after him. And, and I think maybe they hearkened back in their minds to that day when he said, Most assuredly, verse 47, I say to you, He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. That's one of the I am's. I hope you're still doing the Bible studies. If you're not, go back and start them. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, listen to what he was, he's trying to relate to them. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are... They're what? Okay. He's trying to relate to them. Let's let them know your fathers, your ancestors, after all these miracles, then they begin to whine and wanted something to eat. And God gave them manna from heaven. He fed them from heaven, but they ate it. And eventually they all died. He said, all of those, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He's talking about himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Yuck. Seriously? You want me to come take a bite out of your arm, Jesus? Think about it. I'm giving you my flesh. That's what he said. That's what my Bible says. Which I shall give for the life of the world. See, what he was doing is prophesying what was about to take place. He said, I'm giving my life for you. You don't understand it yet, but you're going to understand it. He is the bread of life. When we grab hold and we take and eat of the bread of life, the word of God, and we begin to feed on his word, because, see, the word is Jesus. Okay? 
The word is, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus there. So we feed on his word, church. That's why I encourage you every day, every, every Sunday, get in your word. Don't let it gather dust. Then if, if, if you, you're about to go to a battle and you've got a sword and you need the sword, you need to know where your sword is and how to use it. So let's move on to the blood. Verse 27, then he took the cup. And they had several cups of, that they drank that night through the ceremonies. He took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Stop there. The new covenant. New covenant implies that there's what? An old covenant. So he's talking about a new covenant. And by this time, I'm thinking they're going, wow, what in the world is he doing? We are here for the Passover meal. What, what is Jesus? He's, he's talking about his body and his blood. So why is he, here's, what, here's what that word new or covenant means. Here, I'm going to teach you. You want to learn a Greek word today? Okay, I'm going to see if I can say it, and then you say it after me. Diatheke. Diatheke. Say, diatheke. That's the word that we use or translate into covenant or testament or will. Okay? Here's, this is what diatheke means. It means a disposition, arrangement of any sort, which one wishes to be valid. The last disposition, which one makes of his earthly possessions after his death. A testament or will. How many of you got a will? You got a will, okay? You got an attorney, you got a will, you got online, you got a will, okay? Why do you get a will? Preparation, isn't it? Okay, he was making preparation here for his death. You understand that? A testament or will, a compact, a covenant, a testament. This is what Jesus was wanting to leave his disciples, and this is what he wanted to leave us. That's what he left us. His legacy is him. That's what he was saying. I'm about to give me to you. This is my last will. This is the Father's last will. This is God's will. See, we, we think of wills and we think of God's will. They're kind of the same thing. God has a plan for our life. He wants us to walk according to his plan and his purposes or his will. Jesus gave his will on that night. He said, this is, the, this is my will. This is the new covenant. The old covenant has been torn up. How many of you have re- ever refinanced a home? You, you were paying like 12% interest on your house, and you found out you could get 3% interest, and so you went and you refinanced your house. Anybody ever done that? Because I have. You know what they do? It's like the old, it's like the old contract. Whoosh, it's gone. You don't have to live by that old contract anymore and those high interest rates. Now you've got a new contract with low interest rates, and you get a lower payment. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? In, in, a, in a weird way, that's kind of what Jesus was saying. You've had a contract or a covenant that says you've got to shed the blood of a bull or a lamb once a year. You've got to go in to the temple. You've got to do all this regimented things. The blood's got to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And then you'll be forgiven of your sins, but you've got to do it next year and next year and next year and next year. And you've got to keep these commandments. And I know you've got to keep them all. There's like 600 of them. You know, they couldn't keep them all. And he said, I'm going to tear up that contract. And they're going, what? A new contract? Yeah, he said, I'm paying it. I'm paying for it. I'm paying for it. I'm the lamb now. I'm the blood. I'm, the, I'm, I'm paying the contract. He said, you could never live up to this contract. So my son had to. I tell you what, that's grace, guys. That's a beautiful thing of a new covenant. That's a beautiful thing in the new covenant. Now I'm thinking these guys are going back to that day, back in John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood, my, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Do you want to live? You've got to feed on him. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna. They are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? I would have been right there with them. You would have too. Don't, don't think you're so high and mighty that you would have been one of those. Uh, you know, if he said it the way he said it, and the masses turned around that had been following him, they said, well, it was nice knowing you, Jesus. Thanks for the food. Thanks for the bread. Thanks for the miracles. We got to go now. And they left. In mass, he had more than 12 disciples, church. He had tons of people that were following him. They were being taught by him. And they left. And he turns to his disciples. He said, okay, guys, what about you? What are you going to do? I love Peter's response. And I don't have it verbatim here, so I'll just give it to you in my own language. Well, Lord, where else can we go? We're committed to you. We, we gave up our lives for you. And Kind of sounds like you're a lunatic right now, but we gave up our lives for you. you. You've got the words of life. As best we know right now, you've got the words of life, and we've been with you. We've seen what you can do. We're going to hang with you a little bit longer. And they did. They stuck with him because they said, you have words of life. One of the greatest confessions that Peter ever made. He made some bad ones, but he made some good ones too. And Jesus goes on and really explains it to the people. But they didn't get it. You ever, you ever hear a sermon and you didn't get it? You're going to yell this one. <laughs> Have you ever heard a teaching and you walked away like, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Well, he, he tried to explain it to them. He said, it is a spirit, verse 63. It is a spirit who gives life. And the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are what? Spirit. And they are life. So he's trying to wrap up his thesis. Okay, guys, I know what I said, but this is what this means. These, I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm not talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood literally. Even though some denominations teach that when you take the chip or the, the bread and you take the cup and you drink it, that it actually becomes his body and his blood. And, you know... Whatever. That's what you believe. That's what you believe. But Jesus said, this is my body. This is my, this is my blood. It's what he said. But what he was trying to teach was not a ritual. What he was trying to teach us was things of, about life. If you really want to live, you've got to take him in. You've got to receive him. If you really want to live the abundant life. And when they had sung a hymn, verse 30, Matthew 26. I love this verse. I cried at the first service. Probably, I don't know what I'll do this time. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Collect yourself. Because I've preached this many times. Jesus went out from that place and he sang a hymn. I don't know how many of us could be 
that strong that we could sing a hymn on the way to the cross to our death. He let them out. And I thank God, wow, what a voice Jesus must have. You ever think about how Jesus sang? I mean, he's, saying, he's leading his guys out. You know, the whole rest of that time as he was leading them out, as they went to the garden, he taught them. Go back and read in John. Read from that point on. He talked about the Holy Spirit coming. He talked about he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for himself. He prayed for us. All these things he began to teach them. It's like, I've got some things you've got to hear before we get to the garden because I know you're going to go to sleep on me. He said, follow me. And he led them out with a song, singing the psalms. We read the psalms as poetry. We read the psalms and we have plaques on our walls. They were singing the psalms. We really don't know what the tunes were, but I bet they were beautiful. As they walked out and began to head toward the cross. And I want to share the second question. The first one, Lord, is it I? Here's the second question, and this is the invitation. Go back to, flip over to John 13. John 13. Everything had taken place that we saw in Matthew. They're about to leave or they're leaving. And Peter asked the question. After asked these questions. After Jesus told his disciples this, where I'm going, you cannot come. Here he's shared with them. He's washed their feet. He's already let Judas leave. All these things have taken place. He said, guys, where I'm about to go, you can't follow me. Three years they'd given up their life to follow him wherever he went. I doubt that they took any vacations from hanging out with Jesus. They didn't want to miss the next miracle, next teaching. But they followed him wherever he went for three years in the boat. Wherever he was, they were there with him. And he says, where I'm about to go, I'm sorry, guys, you can't come with me here. Well, how would you have felt? Why would you have thought, what do you mean, Jesus? We've been following you. You've been setting us up for something great, and you're leaving us? The Bible says he never leaves us or forsakes us. He said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Simon Peter, verse 36, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Hmm. You know what afterward meant for Peter? That one day, when he was led to the cross himself to be crucified for his faith in Christ, church history says that when he went to the cross and they laid him down to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. Could you do it? Could you crucify me upside down? Could you just turn me upside down? I can't. I'm not worthy to be crucified that way. So he knew when Jesus said, you can't go with me now, Peter, but there's a day that's coming that you're going to come to the same place. Are you willing? And this is what he said. Jesus answered him. Well, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. 
I will lay it down right now. There's nobody going to take you from us. And Jesus answered and said, will you lay down your life for my sake? See, that's the question he's asking me and you and you and you and everybody. He's asking us the question today. Will you lay down your life for his sake? Are you willing to lay down your life no matter what the cost for his sake? Because that's what he requires. That's not what I'm asking you. That's what he's asking. Can you imagine the, the, the heartache of Peter when Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not even crow till you have already denied me three times. Again, he must have thought, Jesus, you don't really know me yet. There's no way I will go to the death with you. Peter was the one that took the sword out and cut the dude's ear off, the soldier's ear off. He said, I will go to the death with you, Jesus. And yet, a few hours later, a little servant girl comes up to him and says, Yeah, I saw you with Jesus. You're one of his. And he said, No, you don't, you're crazy. I don't even know the guy. The third time he said, I don't even know him. And he cursed God. You talk about a denial. Lord, is it I? Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Well, Peter found out later on when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, when Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit, when Jesus came back and restored him and renewed him by the, by the lake and said, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, and three times Peter said, yes, I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, tend to my sheep. And he said, you, don't know, you have no clue about how you're going to die, but I'm going to tell you this is how it's going to be. You're going to die for me, Peter. And Peter went to the cross upside down for Jesus. Now, see, here's the deal. A lot of us think, well, I, I, I would take a bullet for Jesus. I would be his secret service agent. Somebody was shooting at Jesus, I'd step in front of the bullet. I'd, yeah, I'd do that, man. No way nobody's going to kill my Jesus. Nobody. And, and, and yet, every day, every day people that say, I will die for him, I will lay down my life for him the slightest inclination that somebody might point to you and say that you're a holy ruler or you're a Christian or you're one of those fanatics. Oh, no, 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 not, not me. You see how we deny him? People look at your lifestyle. Could, could they see when they look at your lifestyle that you live a lifestyle that honors God or do they see a lifestyle that denies him? Because we ask the question, Lord, is it I? He asked you the question this morning, are you willing to lay down your life? See, we, we say, I'll die for him, but will you lay down your agenda for him? That's what I think he means by laying down your life. Will you lay down your plans and let his plans take over? Will you lay down your agenda and say, Lord, I submit to you. I've been running the show, but no more, God. I want you to run the li- my life. I will come under your authority. I will come under your submission. You call me to do this. I'll do what you call me to do. That's laying down your life, church. So many of us, we want to do our own thing and expect, expect God to say, hey, yeah, I'm so glad that I'm so proud of you. You've laid down your life for me. No. He's called us to lay down our agenda for him. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it looked like for me many years ago when he said, I want you to do full-time ministry. I've called you into the ministry, Harold. And I didn't do it at 30 years of age. I, I didn't follow the, what, what God had mandated me to do. At 47, I repented and I said, yes, Lord, now I'll go. I'll do it. I'll lay down my life, my agenda for you. Are you willing to lay down your life for him? He laid down his life for us. Would you stand? We have our ministry team.
please come to the front and